Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the August 24th uh, QPSC. Uh, let's start off with a roll call, please. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trace, Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Banerjee is excused, but we do have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Uh, as always, we start off uh, uh, reminding ourselves of the purpose of the QPSC when we're here. So here goes. Uh, the QPSC is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. So with that, that's where we are. We uh, will now go into, um, uh, let's go into public comment. Madam Clerk, I have two listed that you've given to me. Any changes uh, uh, on the uh, public commentary roster? I have no changes. Okay, we, we have two guests here. Um, Ms. Kendra Simmons. I hope I'm saying your name correctly, Ms. Simmons. Yes. Uh, where, oh, there you are, you're right in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Ms. Kendra Simmons, and then we have Mr. John Torres. Uh, so we, we, we welcome you both uh, to be with us this, this evening. The protocol on public comment is we, we give you three minutes to say what you're doing. We're, by, because this is not agendized, we cannot respond directly to you. But of course, we appreciate your comments. So Ms. Simmons, the floor is yours, if that's okay. Thank you. Um, good evening again. My name is Kendra Simmons. I'm a current board member for Youth Alive and also a former staff of 20 years. Um, Youth Alive um, over the last 20 years has remained steadfast in cherishing our partnership with Highland Hospital to best service patients returning to communities with, within Oakland and beyond. Um, our relationship within Highland Hospital has grown tremendously over, over the last 20 years. Back in 2002, when I started, honestly, we struggled to assist violently injured patients treated at Highland Hospital because we weren't really connected to any specific department. Since then, Youth Alive's Caught in a Crossfire program is established within the emergency department, the trauma department, and also within the social work department. Youth Alive has remained abreast to the trends in community violence around the country, leading to Oakland's first team of violence interrupters, um, who also respond to patients at bedside. We have increased the age range of the population that we service in terms of the patients. And we started um, serving patients up to 21. Um, we expanded to up to 35 and we've treated patients, we've worked with patients up to um, age 65. We are now responding to the emergency department 24 hours a day. Youth Alive continues to focus and respond to the needs of the community and we'll continue to do so. And we thank you for your partnership. Ms. Simmons, thank you so much for your comments. Uh, good evening, Mr. Torres. How are you, sir? Good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Well, welcome. Welcome to speak and uh, appreciative to have you both here. Uh, three minutes on the clock, if that's acceptable to you, sir. Sounds good to me. All right. Let's um, so thank you. Uh, my name is John Torres. I'm the associate director currently at Youth Alive. I've been with the organization for 13 years. And uh, speaking on the same uh, subject as uh, Dr. Simmons here, um, it'll be the article you guys will be reading. So we operate the Oakland-based program that's uh, highlighted in that article and operate the first hospital-based intervention program of its kind in the nation. And so here today, I'm also uh, expressing my gratitude for the partnership over all those years. Um, it's helped us 
serve many individuals. Want to give you some real-time numbers uh, on our programming through the partnership with Highland uh, between January 1st and June 30th of this year, we've served 97 injured patients alone. Um, you'll read that uh, one of the big factors uh, of the success of hospital-based intervention programs is uh, that folks will not be re-injured. One of those uh, uh, 97 uh, patients has re-injured or have seen a new injury uh, that saw them back in the hospital. So uh, definitely a good rate at uh, where we're at. We've also relocated 15 individuals uh, due to safety reasons. Uh, Dr. Simmons mentioned a little bit of the other programming that we have, violence interrupters. We also operate a homicide response program and we have a, uh, a small mental health service uh, uh, component in our agency. What I also wanted though to highlight is that in addition to the direct service work, there's a lot of behind the scenes and advocacy work that we do uh, in the spirit of, of victims and increased resources. We uh, actually just recently, just this Monday, uh, a assembly bill that we had been co-sponsoring with uh, assembly member Jesse Gabriel was just signed into law, which uh, is turning or is uh, essentially treating violence. It's, it's confirming that violence is a public health issue and the law essentially is going to expand resources through Medi-Cal to be able to provide more violence prevention services. So again, our reach isn't just at the direct service level. We understand that uh, comprehensively, we need to also be increasing resources. So we do a lot of advocacy at the local, state, and even national levels. And uh, again, just uh, thank you guys for your partnership and wanted to say those uh, things on behalf of our program. Thank you for those nice words, Mr. Torres. Um, Madam Clerk, um, are there any other uh, uh, of our public uh, here to make comment? No one has reached out to me. Okay, with that, we'll close the public comment section. And again, thank um, you. Through the chair, if I could just make a comment myself. As uh, always, Madam Vice Chair. Thank you, Dr. Chair. I did wanna thank um, Kendra and John both for all of their hard work with Youth Alive. I'm very familiar with the program. Some of you know that I'm a board member as well. And it's, it's, um, uh, there's a lot of organizations, <clears throat> as we know, there's a lot of organizations that work hard to keep keep our community healthy. What what Youth Alive does, what's unique about Youth Alive, and what's what's critical about Youth Alive is that they they find the 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 resources, they connect the people, and they make sure that the community is there. And as John mentioned, it's incredible that just a little over one percent of people who have been victims of violence probably, uh, and John and Kendra can comment on this more, but not maybe not right now, hopefully in the future. But these people, these are victims who are, are probably have been victims possibly in the past of not gunshot wounds, but different types of violence. They're in situations where they might tend to be, um, go out and retaliate in terms of the violence that has happened to them. And what Youth Alive does is to connect them to to people who can ensure their safety, people who can give them resources to continue to live violence-free in the community, or as John mentioned, to relocate to a place where they won't be victimized again. So it's really incredible. There's so many more things that this, this organization does. And um, I actually wanted to highlight it. I, I'm glad that you brought the article, Dr. Chair, because the, the article just really gives us as as the authority and governors of Alameda Health System, a great idea of what it looks like to partner with a, a, a tremendous resource in the community. And 
and nobody else does it, that there's not another organization and we can't do this alone. So this is a great partnership. And I just want to thank Youth Alive and thank um, the board here thank for um, for continuing this program, this great resource for Oakland. Well, uh, thank you for those uh, those great words, Trustee Jensen. And uh, I'll just say uh, for those following along on the agenda, we'll we'll effectively call this item B because we're we've sort of jumped into the article, which is which is totally cool. This article is here because uh, Chair Bucat, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. You want me to make an approval of the of the uh, that okay. allows us to have the meeting. Yes, sir. So, Sorry so uh, uh, Trustee Jensen, we, we gave our council a, a mild little heart attack here. So let's mm -hmm. do process. Um, uh, uh, trustees, action item A is to adopt a resolution uh, to allow us to co uh, continue to have remote meetings. Uh, we're a little bit expired on this. So our council doesn't have a heart attack. Can I have a motion? To I'll move approval. I'll second. Uh, 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 roll call, please. Uh, Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> aye. Trustee Jensen is an aye. Sorry, Trustee uh, Jensen. Aye. Okay, the motion passes. Thank okay, you. we'll move back to the discussion. Do you feel better, Council? Thank you, Dr. Chair. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're actually um, having this discussion uh, because Trustee Jensen submitted the article to me. And I'll say, you know, this is like my 15th year in the organization. And I kind of knew what it was, but I didn't really know what it was. I'm not a trauma doctor. And uh, boy, reading this article uh, really sort of resonated. And, uh, you know, I like to pull out a quote. So I'm going to read this uh, from the article. Hospital violence intervention programs were first developed in Oakland, California in 1994. Go Oakland making them the oldest of all community violence intervention programs. They are also uh, the most researched of the programs. A 2004 evaluation of Oakland's Youth Alive program found that participants were 70% less likely to be arrested and 60% less likely to have a criminal record versus a control group. Additionally, the study revealed that the program saved hospitals up to $1.5 million annually. So again, shame on me for not really knowing this, but I know about it now. And as we talk about quality in this room uh, on this board, and we talk about the domains of quality, and you know, I, I know you guys get annoyed when I talk about the domains of quality, safety, timeliness, effectiveness, efficiency, equity, and patient-centered, man, uh, what, uh, we, we can apply a bunch of these domains to, to Youth Alive. Safety, it's probably at the heart of what they do. Timeliness, uh, I'm, uh, I'm amazed that, that uh, I think I heard uh, Mr. Torres and Ms. Simmons say that they can respond in the emergency department. That's crazy that they can do that. So uh, I just gave you some effectiveness numbers that 70% um, less uh, arrested, 60% less criminal electorate, right? Uh, equity, uh, what could be more uh, equitable than this for this patient population? Uh, uh, who's diverse and disparate and at risk and patient-centered. You're going right to the patient. So, I mean, man alive, this is, this is a quality program. So, Trustee, Trustee Jensen, thank you for bringing it to my attention. Of course, the work of uh, uh, Ms. Simmons and Ms., Mr. Torres and their group, this, this is a great dialogue. Um, so, uh, I'll leave, it, uh, I'll leave word to Trustee Jensen and then Trustee Thank you. Steve. 
I am. Um, I, I just wanted to add a little bit to to what you said, and they and Euthalite is in the Highland Emergency Room since it's been since in its inception of the 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 program, and it's been there's been challenges. I mean, one of the things that that James and I know about was the challenge due to to Epic because we have to comply with HIPAA. I mean, that's that's out of the you know the realm. Of course, we want to be in compliance, and but. Uh, in some ways, from my understanding, it was a little easier before HIPAA, before Epic, excuse me, to um, to respond because there were there were um, ability and some access that was that that was necessarily and 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 responsibly reduced for outside people to come into the Highland ED. But thanks to um, Mark, Amy, and Dr. English and James, that some a lot of that um, has been addressed. And so this is a partnership. I just wanted to say that because. Those are things that I think can be once you know the, the principals are talking about it, then everyone wants this to be successful and those things are addressed. And I, I thank James and Mark and um, David, Dr. English for um, thinking about that and figuring out a way to, to ensure that the access, as you mentioned, that the, the um, Youth Alive can, social work staff can access the people that they need to and support the patients who have gunshot wounds in the, in the emergency room at Highland. Thank you, Nothing. Trustee Jensen. Trustee Esteen, any comments? Uh, I love the program and I am so happy that Dr. Simmons and Mr. Torres came to join us tonight and the article was incredible. I had no idea that the impact was so extreme throughout the country and um, I also didn't realize the inception was here in Oakland. So great work. Let's. I'm excited to keep it up. Yeah, it's great. And I'll, I'll sort of end this night, very nice discussion with, uh, with commentary to our, our following uh, administrative partners, Ms. Brigham, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Fratsky, Dr. Tornabene, uh, uh, Dr. Gupta, you know we're having discussions about this community pillar uh, and the metrics of it. I, uh, uh, just as an inception uh, point for discussion, man, I can't think of a better type community pillar item than this. So as those di dialogues advance for what the metrics are, the true north metrics are for our community pillar, I, I think this uh, I think this touches a lot of bases. So uh, thank you for everyone for that discussion and for informing me about something I really didn't know about, which I always love. So with that, we'll close item B and we are on time amazingly and we'll go to item C. That's the consent agenda. So uh, trustees, the consent agenda is before you, before entertaining a motion to uh, approve the entirety of the consent agenda, are there any items that need to be removed for discussion? I have nothing to remove. I'll move approval. Yeah, second. Great. Uh, you, uh, Madam trustee, you're gonna move approval of the full consent agenda, correct? Yes. Yes, okay. Um, trustee Esteen? I second that. Uh, Madam Clerk, roll call. Trustee Bouquet. Yes, ma'am. Trustee Esteem. Yes. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. All right. Wow. We're moving along. All right. Now we come to item D. This is the point where we hear direct communication from our medical staff leaders, sort of scanning the room. Our, so our, our, our medical staff leaders are Dr. Irina Williams, who's the chief of the medical staff for the Alameda Health System portion of it. We have Dr. Nikki Joshi, who is the chief of staff for the Alameda Hospital portion of it. And uh, then we have Dr. Idris Zali, who is from the San Leandro Hospital 
leadership team. Um, Dr. Joshi, are you in the room? Actually, Dr. Joshi's working tonight and asked me to step oh, in for Dr. her. Dr. Pyun, happy to have you back. Yes. Um, Dr. Pyun, former chief of staff at Alameda Hospital, I guess you're sitting in. Um, please have at it, Dr. Pyun. Sure. Uh, it was a quiet month, relatively speaking, because it's August and we didn't really have a full MEC. So uh, in the closed session, we did approve us uh, the CPC items. Uh, we're still in the process of organizing a, a physician or cl a clinician communication training to help uh, with, uh, you know, improving clinician communication with patients uh, using GIFT. Um, you know, staffing, uh, nurse uh, staffing has, I think, improved a little bit. I haven't seen a big impact on the hospital side too much. Um, it's, been, it's been up and down, but overall, um, uh, I think it's been a, bit, a little bit better. I know it's been, you know, it's been a uh, you know, a nationwide issue. Uh, uh, there's uh, some meetings with the nurse leaders regarding uh, looking into metrics for staff shortages, tra tracking that. So that's something that's uh, in the works. Um, of note, uh, our credentials and privileges were accepted. And uh, that's basically my report for today. Trustees, do you have any questions for Dr. Pyun from Alameda Hospitals, MEC? No. All right. Thank you for your report, Dr. Pyun. Uh, I see Dr. Efzali has logged in. Uh, good evening, Dr. Efzali. Hello. Uh, good evening, everyone. <clears throat> good to be uh, good to be here. Um, I have a number of uh, good news to share with everyone, which is always a, a good thing. Um, the first item I wanted to bring up is that we have uh, progress on the transfer from inpatient to Highland and Diverse. Uh, uh, there was a meeting with uh, Huron yesterday, which went well. There's been some workflows uh, laid out, and I think uh, having a standardized approach to who we transfer, when we transfer, uh, is critical in avoiding bumps along the road, and so hopefully those those uh, guidelines will be coming through soon and will be published through the transfer center. The second item on that list, uh, and uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the, the progress on this from the San Leandro side, is uh, plans for opening up the third floor at, at San Leandro uh, for uh, uh, admitting patients. And that was mainly being held up by uh, staffing. Um, so there were some travelers that recently arrived and we're hoping that that'll go next week. I don't, uh, I don't want to, uh, step on uh, either uh, CEO or uh, Mark's uh, report later on, but very excited to hear that. I've been uh, talking about the third floor opening up with the uh, local leaders for quite some time, uh, so that'll be that'll be great. Uh, definitely welcome you. Um, orthopedic surgery is doing a, a few more cases at at San Leandro, which is also great, um, although it, it's at the expense of Alameda. Uh, there's uh, the big item that is uh, affecting the emergency department is the uh, ambulance patient offload times. Unfortunately, San Leandro uh, is one of the outliers and the time uh, that ambulances wait uh, outside the emergency department to offload their patients. Um, reports that um, there's quite a few plans in place. It's a, it's a multifactorial issue. Uh, there's not a, a single easy fix. It's not just about offloading the patients and, uh, and calling it done. 
uh, there's a number of factors that need to be taken into consideration, including staffing, as well as the, the small space that we have in that department. Um, the uh, staffing uh, is getting better, uh, and I appreciate the help of local leaders as well as uh, assistance from uh, system level in making sure we fill uh, our 11 new RN hires. Uh, those are not all hired yet, those are, those are posted, uh, but we're in the process of hiring those. Um, and I am uh, ecstatic about uh, uh, an additional MD being on staff at San Leandro ED during the uh, late uh, afternoon and early evening hours, which tend to be very busy times in the ED. Uh, and this is going to be uh, uh, immense help to uh, to offload some of the uh, strain on the on the one physician that covered uh, sometimes upwards of 30 patients in the department. Um, that was uh, approved just yesterday, so that's not actually on the uh, on the report I have submitted. But uh, I am I, I'm very relieved to have to have that. Uh, uh, as, as, a, as a resolved item. Um, the other thing that we're gonna do to re reduce that time is expedite offload of uh, patients to the waiting room and basically coming up with a uh, standardized approach of who's stable and who's not stable for the waiting room, who can be offloaded and who cannot be offloaded. Uh, the ED arrival uh, slash triage uh, beta is helping us uh, uh, do some uh, triage training for triage nurses. Uh, that's an ongoing effort. Uh, first uh, sort of rounds of classes were had on the 17th and 18th of this month, uh, and I'm hoping more to come. Uh, and then lastly, uh, help with throughput in getting patients up to the floor. That includes placing orders on patients and uh, bed assignments. And once we have the third floor opened up, we'll have more options. Um, but all of those will hopefully result in uh, freeing up some of these ambulances to uh, get back to the community and do what they uh, set out to do. Uh, the other items during our uh, San Leandro Leadership Committee that came up, uh, also a couple of more positive notes, our main lobby is going to get a facelift and refresh with paint and tile, uh, which is uh, overdue. Um, we will have a, a interviews coming up for VP of Patient Care Services, supply chains and materials, uh, and uh, there's already a new uh, director of biomed engineering who will be starting in September, uh, a new director of facilities um, that started uh, two days ago on the 22nd. Um, and uh, last but not least, we welcome new medical staff members with Dr. Laura Lang, Chief of Anesthesia and Perioperative Medical Director. Uh, Daniel Choi is uh, emergency physician as well as Director of Point of Care Ultrasound for the ED. Um, we're hoping, hopeful for a lot of great stuff coming uh, from that role uh, in particular. Uh, and then uh, Dr. Carolyn Humphreys is another new addition to, uh, to the ED staff. We'll be working mostly nights. And uh, Dr. Philip Wen, a uh, new uh, hospitalist uh, with the inpatient team. Those are my major highlights. I uh, welcome any questions if you have any. Thank you, Dr. Hazali. Trustee Jensen. Um, Dr. Hazali, I, I just wanted to get a little bit more um, information about the offloading. Uh, is, that, is that happening because of shift shortages, like nursing staff, would you say, or was it, uh, is it just because um, it, it, there tend to be more 
more transports at certain times of the day? I'm, I'm just trying to get ideas where the issue uh, uh, it's more, multiple factors. Uh, for for starters, I think uh, some of the outdated uh, COVID practices uh, are, are are a factor uh, where we hold some of the patients there. If we're concerned about them being PUIs, uh, they they get held longer. Uh, the other factor is staffing, unfortunately, uh, because uh, inpatient is short staffed. It just it's a downstream effect in the ED. Those patients board in the ED, and it, we've seen boarding times. Uh, that we've never seen at San Leandro. Uh, when they would go, when a patient would board more than four or five hours at San Leandro, um, you know, we would we would kind of start to worry. Um, I know that, you know, at Highland, that was a regular thing. At San Leandro, it was not. Uh, but now we're seeing boarding times that, that overlap two or three shifts, which is over 24 hours. Uh, because there's no bed to place them in. If there is a bed, there's not a nurse to, to staff that bed. Um, the other thing is uh, our volume has has spiked uh, in in recent months, uh, and uh, you know a good amount of our volume, uh, sometimes as high as forty uh, percent, is EMS driven. Um, and so we don't want to discourage that by any means. Um, but when we don't have a bed to actually put them in. Uh, it, it makes it it makes it challenging, um, and there and there's also a a human factor there, and in, in that if a patient walks into the waiting room, we're more comfortable with them being in the waiting room than if they were brought in by an ambulance. For some reason, we think that those patients tend to be a lot thicker, which tends to be true, but not always. Um, so uh, hopefully, we'll work through some of those challenges and, and decrease that wait time for EMS. Does that answer your question, Trustee Jensen? Trustee Esteen, any questions of Dr. Bzali? Yeah, I mean, this this chart is kind of astounding in the, the wait times. Um, you mentioned an outdated COVID PUI investigations, and, um, and I love that there's 11 new hire RNs coming, but where does hiring 11 new nurses bring you to uh, the state of staffing that you need? Like, does that actually fill in the gap? Or it, it, it would go a long way. It would go a long way. Um, and there, there's been days where, uh, you know, our 13 bed ED has had uh, twice as many patients and only two or three RNs. And that, that would include the, uh, the charge nurse, um, which is, which is, hard. That's all I can say. That's, that's tough. Um, so staffing, yes, that, uh, having all those 11 RNs on staff would, would go a long way in, in, in taking the load off. Uh, right now we have some nurses uh, who are, you know, pulling doubles uh, day after day. Um, and, you know, I'm worried that they're, they're going to they're gonna burn out. I don't know how they've done it so far. I credit Do them we... for being able to do what they've done. Right, right. Do we know if these nurses are working full-time, part-time per diem? I don't have the breakdown detail on the on the 11 hires, uh, but they're all uh, FTE positions, not, not per diem. That's great. There's, there's a lot of uh, um, unfilled positions that still need to, to come through. Okay. Um, when you say outdated COVID PUI, have standards changed at the other health system sites or is this the same standard we've been using everywhere? I think we're starting to work through it. 
Um, there, I think we're starting to work through it. There's there's some hesitation on parts of the staff, which is understandable. Um, but there, it just needs to continue to be educated that COVID's not going away, and there are others uh, that are uh, stepping up in line to take its place. Um, so we just need to be careful with every patient and assume everybody's got COVID. Right, right, right. Um, I feel like there's so much more about throughput and where the clients are going with the increase in volume in the ED, um, which seems like it's more than a spike. Like this is the new volume. It's been at least several months that this has been uh, an occurrence. Um, are you able to move people out of the inpatient unit in a, in a timely fashion? Are you seeing that that as one of the issues? Or is this just about ED volume and ED flow? Uh, no, it's also inpatient staffing. Uh, so a lot of times we do have inpatient beds available. Semiander actually has one of the best uh, sort of length of stays. Um, but uh, the, the trouble that we run into in, in boarding is we can't move the patients upstairs because there's, there's not staff to staff for the beds that are available. Mm. With ICU patients, it's a little bit different. Uh, we only have seven ICU beds. So um, not, uh, you know, staffing is usually not the major issue. It's the actual bed being available. Uh, but floor patients, it's, it's more often than not, it's because of staffing. Wow. And just to be clear, these 11 new hires are strictly for the ER. We're not talking about the rest of the facility. Is that correct? Correct. Do you have stats? I mean, it, it feels like it maybe isn't prepared for this report, but do you have any idea about what staffing looks like in the rest of the building? I don't. I, I can get that for you, but I don't have that offer. And hi, this is Ro, um, the CNO. Sorry that I'm not on camera. Um, I don't have the actual data in front of me, but what I could tell you is that the San Leandro ICU, um, as far as vacancies, it's mainly um, a lot of our per diem staff um, that have either left or became unavailable or went on a leave. Um, most of our benefited positions are filled. It's not a high number. And the same mm -hmm. thing for the med surge med telly. But what we're experiencing, again, is a high number of sick calls. Um, we're getting four and five sick calls per shift, which is a lot for um, that 39 bed unit. Um, the manager there does a really good job of filling her positions in a timely manner, but keeping up with the sick calls um, is, you know, it's, it's the day-to-day -day business. And so it's very difficult. Um, we're, sometimes we um, have people staying over for part of the shift just to kind of put things together. But the vacancies for San Leandro were more um, prominent in the emergency department than actual on the inpatient units. We are just really seeing a lot of sick utilization. Yeah, I think it's that mention of burnout that we may be, that the sick calls may be reflecting. Um, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I actually had a conversation with the nurse who wanted to just go on a, um, a short personal leave of absence because she was really trying to evaluate if nursing was what she wanted to do, but she really loved San Leandro, did not want to give up her position, but just needed a little grace, just a little time to think, to try and figure things out. So we're definitely seeing that. Was she able to take leave? Yes, I did grant her that time. She was a per diem nurse, so it wasn't, um, you know, um, a benefited person, but 
the per diems in San Leandro, they actually, they give a lot of availability. They work a lot. And so it does affect us when, you know, when they leave. Uh, maybe this is a question we can take to the HR committee, but I'm curious what the percentage of permanent staff nurses is to uh, per diem staff nurses, because maybe that percentage is too high on the per diem side and there need um, to be well, more FTEs. Yeah, no, we're, we're actually, um, we've, we've looked at balancing of our schedules and what the actual needs are. We have the cores, um, but our per diems really, they really come to bat when, when people are out on leaves or they're on medical leaves or they're out on COVID. Our per diem staff are really working. We don't have a high number of them that we need to um, contact for availability. They work quite a bit. Sounds like it. Thank you for that explanation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Tornabene. Thank you. Yeah, I was just going to add, I was going to share this during the TNM dashboard, but this seems like an opportune time to just discuss a little bit on what we're doing across the system for throughput as well, which is a, a really a, a huge project with many arms. Dr. Afzali already alluded to it um, in our partnership with Huron um, called Care Optimization. And in the Care Optimization program, I am really excited about the work um, on transfer workflows around all three of our acute care facilities. And in fact, we've had um, already two patient swaps, ICU to ICU patient swaps, where uh, we have ICU patients from either San Leandro or Alameda, and they're getting swapped with um, a patient from Highland so that those are pa patients from Highland that are appropriate for San Leandro and Alameda. And there is a patient from San Leandro and Alameda that is coming into Highland because they need a higher level of care ICU bed. So through that work, we've already done that twi twice. We had a, a meeting today where we're really finalizing emergent uh, transfer workflows or um, uh, patient flows uh, between Alameda, San Leandro to Highland. And then in addition, we're still really digging deep into optimizing our interdisciplinary rounds, especially at Highland. Mark Brown is doing a ton of work on that. Um, and then some work within the Highland ED also on, on um, patient flow uh, at, at the intake, essentially. So tons of great work already um, going on in terms of throughput, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Thank you, Dr. Tornabene. Um, Dr. Afzali, here's sort of my comment and question to you. What I heard in your report, you sort of lit up on a particular issue, which was uh, you talked about the additional MD, uh, which is going to be a midday position. Is this new to your working model? Yes, it is. Okay. So uh, what, I, what I thought I felt and heard was that you, you see this as a success? Most definitely. Uh, okay. on, on multiple fronts, I think it's a... It's a success because uh, San Leandro has been in such a pinch for the last couple of months that I've been uh, reporting to you. Uh, the volumes, uh, uh, I think I agree with Trustee Asin, uh, it's not just a spike, it's been a trend uh, okay. since, since March that you know, I've been presenting those numbers to you. It's a, it's a trend upwards and it's, uh, I believe, month to date was 19% up from okay. last year and it's been in, the, in those high double digits. The other uh, uh, the other thing is that, you know, there's days where we have 34 patients on our board uh, and with one physician on staff. It's single covers 24 hours a day, uh, which gets very tight and hairy and unsafe, frankly, 
at times. And unfortunately, if there's a if there's a code blue upon the floor, then you know that takes us away from the ED. Uh, having somebody as backup uh, during the busiest hours of the day is not only good for patients for uh, uh, sort of uh, the speed with which to, with which we get to the sicker patients uh, and helping the dispo quicker, et cetera. It's also a big, big boost to wellness uh, and, and, and burnout on, on the physician's part. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a huge bump for San Leandro. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that it'll help continue the positive trends that we've been achieving. Great. So I, I guess, again, you know, um, I'm a um, blowhard and I'll keep talking. So I'm going to go a little bit meta here. Uh, I, I, I think any organization should strive to learn from its successes as well as its failures. So I, what I think I heard was you feel like this is a success. So give me your personal impression about how this success was navigated. What's different than before? Give me your feel about how, what, what can the organization learn from the navigation of this particular success? How was it done? Can it be repeated in your impression? Uh, I think it can be repeated. And uh, frankly, I didn't have to, I, I just stated the truth and needed the truth to get to the right people. Uh, it's showing the numbers. Who are the, the right people? Uh, well, uh, Dr. Tona Bene, Mark Krafty, uh, Charlotte Will, the chair of uh, emergency medicine. Uh, and it's making the right argument to the right, to the right crowd. And uh, actually, if you'd asked me maybe two years ago or three years ago when I was uh, newer in this role, uh, I may not have known how to navigate those waters. Um, furthermore, uh, before EDMG and uh, uh, AHP, when, when the emergency department was under contract, the incentives were, were different um, when we were a contracted group. When I first started at San Leandro, uh, the incentives were different. We, we had a lot of trouble maintaining the staff that we did have, much less have the quality of positions that we currently have on staff. I'm, I'm very proud of the doctors that we have on team. And for as long as we've been able to keep them, and there's, you know, the, the retention rate has been, has been great and it's dramatically improved compared to five years ago, I would say. Um, and so for me to be able to do this in, in the last, uh, what, two and a half months since, since I first submitted the SBAR, as I think has been very, there was a very quick response to it and appropriate response. The right questions came back and we just had to adjust. The, the data was a little bit uh, hard to, to track down, but doable. Data, accountability, trust. Uh, sound yeah. familiar? One yep. in our rotunda of our strategic plan. <laughs> yeah. And, Come on, uh, Mr. Jackson, you know, you'll give me a smile. <laughs> Uh, and 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 I, again, my la I'll just sort of like make it my statement. I think, uh, uh, Dr. Zali, what are our lessons learned for our other med staff leaders? I think you said you had to come along your pathway to learn how to communicate, to speak, to to administrator speak, and this administrator speaking, clinician speak. So I think uh, I think this is a great single model, um, and hopefully it is scalable and repeatable. So. Uh, uh, go forth and teach your other doctors how to talk like this. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Tornabene. 
Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to speak a little bit more about the process, Dr. Arsali. Thank you so much. I'm glad that it was a, a good experience for you. That's something that we've been working on consistently since about last fall in, in revising our process for um, review and approval of physician and advanced practice provider FTEs. Um, one of the, the key items that, that um, we're doing now is really partnering our physician leaders when there's a request coming forward uh, with uh, Christine Linquist from our finance team and helping do a, 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 a really an analysis around the business need uh, for this. And, and it was a great presentation that Dr. Afzali and Christine gave to the physician contracting and staffing team yesterday, where we were able to see that uh, in the setting of an ED with APPs, typically it's two arrivals per hour is the is the goal. At San Leandro, during those hours, we had a heat map even that was developed for us that, that the average um, arrivals were about four to five per physician per hour um, during the highest. Now, and so by adding um, a physician during those hours, that brings that uh, arrivals per physician per hour down to the way to where it should be. And that really came out of that work came out of partnership and leadership by Dr. Afzali, Christine Linquist, Dr. Wills um, as well. And, and, is, and, and it's a very exciting place to be, I think organizationally to have our physician leaders um, uh, leading in this way. Thank you for your leadership on the, that, that, Dr. Tormo Benning. Get us more of that, please, ma'am. Um, I think with that, we'll close out with Dr. Afzali. Thank you for your report. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening, and my apologies for joining later. I had a um, um, child situation to take <laughs> care of, so... <laughs> Um, I appreciate your patience. Um, I'm going to jump into my report. Um, from what I was, uh, from what I overheard um, after I joined, I think some of the items uh, may have been already touched upon by other medical staff leaders. Um, so. Um, um, I group my report and the key points that I'm reporting on by the pillars, uh, according to our new AHS um, strategic plan. Um, so I'll start with the community pillar. Um, uh, I think medical staff uh, members uh, was very excited to learn about the coming initiative regarding Epic Community Connect, where uh, we may potentially um, help some other um, health systems uh, and hospitals that we work closely with to um, get access to Epic and allow for more effective information sharing uh, for the purpose of better uh, quality of patient care. Um, we're looking forward to, uh, to learn more about this. Um, uh, I also wanted to let the board know that medical staff has launched a medical staff diversity, equity, and inclusion work group. Um, it was launched a few months back. Um, this is uh, this work group will be partnering with HETI committee as well as lead its own initiatives to continue implementing principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, this work group is being led by Kevin Smith, um, and this is sort of a first initiative of this of this kind that actually got organized and formed into a group uh, by the medical staff. So we're very very excited about the work that this work group is going to be doing. Um, moving on to quality uh, pillar. Uh, during the last MAC, we appreciated a more transparent format of information sharing um, between quality team and the medical executive committee. Um, uh, it was nice to um, 
have a better understanding of the current RCAs, outcomes, and action items. Um, so uh, we really appreciate the, the effort that the quality team made to make these reports more transparent. And um, it seems like we have a loop closure in the follow through. Um, we also learned that the nursing QRC um, is uh, likely gonna be reporting to quality and safety committee. So a more robust structure uh, is being developed around nursing QRC reporting. Um, somewhat parallel, I guess, to the medical staff reporting in terms of quality. Um, we are very grateful for the work that Dr. Lofton um, has put um, into this effort. Uh, we also received a report from our Institutional Review Board Committee. Um, some of the accomplishments that I wanted to highlight for the board to be aware of, um, that uh, a number of processes have been developed. Um, uh, one is around handling of emergency use of a drug. Another one is around um, handling compassionate use of an investigational device. And um, in terms of the numbers and to, to showcase sort of the volume of work that this committee is doing for the institution. Um, they supported 14 new studies, 100 active protocols, um, which is quite a bit. So um, so excited to learn about um, the work that this committee has been doing in 2021. Moving forward to staff and patient experience, um, uh, it, uh, one of the concerns in, uh, is around ambulatory space capacity. It seems like ambulatory space does not meet patient care demands and um, ongoing hiring efforts among a number of specialties um, to support patient access have led to um, essentially start, uh, ambulatory services starting to run out of outpatient space. Um, the system-wide um, ambulatory space assessment is on the way, and we appreciate Dr. Turner-Bennis and Mark uh, Fraske's role um, and um, support of this project. Um, we are looking to get uh, more data regarding the current space and uh, figure out how we can more efficiently use our current real estate and really try to maximize, max maximize what we currently have on the ambulatory space side. Um, Emergency department at Highland Hospital has been in frequent surge red, um, and there were some concerns around um, the waiting room sort of being overflown. So um, there is an um, initiative to um, potentially look into more creative strategies um, to better accommodate emergency room patients from the waiting room um, with certain levels of acuity. So uh, there are a few spaces that are being looked into Thailand hospitals and explored as potential uh, areas for sort of after hours emergency uh, room care. Um, I believe this project is sort of in its infancy, but um, we appreciate creative thinking around how we can better accommodate um, our patients in the waiting room and avoid any um, quality related issues around these patients. Um, uh, we still have a few uh, department chair searches on the way. Um, the search continues for the chairs of the Department of Emergency Medicine, Orthopedics and Radiology. Um, moving forward to the sustainability pillar. Uh, unfortunately, we have been having um, uh, issues around um, our imaging uh, services, equipment and staffing. Um, 
However, um, it appears that there is a robust strategy around the mitigation efforts, um, and uh, there are plans for each hospital for Alameda San Leandro and Highland in terms of making sure that the imaging services are maintained and the interruptions of the services are minimal. There were, there were some equipment issues as well as COVID callouts as happening pretty much across the um, system. But um, again, I appreciate um, Mr. Fratzke's and Troy Ashford's work in making sure that uh, our imaging services run as smoothly as possible. Um, and uh, we're still seeing COVID-related call-outs sort of across all levels of um, um, staff st staffing and pretty much the majority of areas um, of our health system, both acute um, and ambulatory. Um, however, I believe uh, Dr. Lofton has spoken about it um, when I jumped in, so I'm not going to go into more details regarding staffing shortage. Um, and that concludes my report. I'm open to take any questions. Thank you, Dr. Williams, for that report. Trustees, any question uh, for Dr. Williams on her report for uh, the Alameda Health System medical staffs? I'd like to make a comment and say I'm excited about the, uh, the study for ambulatory space. I think that assessment is going to give good information and uh, help to target all the things we've been talking about. So good, good to know that's happening. Christine, Christine, it's sort of a good, bad problem that we need to grow, <laughs> right? Um, uh, so, you know, then it's about finding the right, right, right stuff. Um, so uh, trustee, I mean, Dr. Williams, thank you so much for your report. We'll close out this section. I don't see any hands or comments. Um, um, actually, Dr. Tornabene, while we're talking about growth of ambulatory, this might be a nice little entree to introduce a new teammate, do you think? Excellent, yeah, that's great. Okay. I was gonna put it at the beginning of my call. I, tr I try to be thoughtful of it, I try. I try. <laughs> <laughs> great, wonderful. Um, this is a perfect op opportunity to introduce the, uh, one of the new faces of our leadership team, Dr. Portia Mack. So uh, Dr. Mack, um, uh, she comes to us um, after a number of years as the Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer at Tiburcio Vasquez um, Community Health Centers. Before that, she had a number of leadership positions at Lifelong Medical Care. Um, Dr. Mack um, uh, did her undergrad at Stanford and then her medical doctorate at University of Kansas. She is a board-certified pediatrician, and she got her MBA. MBA from University of San Francisco. We are so fortunate to have Dr. Mack here. Um, uh, even in the last week and a half, I mean, I, I feel like Dr. Mack, you're always like, oh my gosh, I love it here. I'm so excited. So I cannot wait to see that energy moving forward. And, and um, I can't wait to see uh, what Dr. Mack does with our ambulatory space. <laughs> Thank you. Again, I'm, I really am so excited to be here, uh, been in the community um, working and referring to Alameda Health System for a couple decades now, and I know the work and the footprint that we have in the community and just really excited to be part of the team. Welcome to the family, Dr. Mack. Thank you. Um, so uh, with that, we will close out the medical staff reports. Now we have two items left here, uh, which are very directly related.
One is the Patient Safety Regulatory Affairs and TNM dashboard. The other is actually the True North metric uh, forecast for 2022-23. Trustees, I'll just remind us that, that we had this discussion about two or three months ago. And as we were coming into the new fiscal year, which is where we usually have to do an update of our TNM dashboard, we had discussion with Dr. Tornabene and our, our awesome quality team. And we sort of had felt like there was a lag of data. Oh, sorry, we needed data to accumulate before we could launch uh, uh, a new dashboard. Well, I think that time is right now upon us. So I'm going to give this to Dr. Tornabene. Dr. Tornabene, can, can I just give it to you and you, I'll let you decide how, if you want to merge uh, items E and F, or do we, I'll, I'll give it to you for, for this kind of next section. It's 6.30. I'll, I'll give you like about, we'll just uh, take us to the seven o'clock hour. That'll be a full hour and a half meeting. Is that acceptable to combine those both? Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. I will be, um, and uh, Ms. Torres is out of the office, so I have the pleasure of giving the Patient Safety Regulatory Affairs and TNM dashboard report tonight. So I'll start with that. And then from there, Dr. Gupta and I will move into the presentation about um, our proposal for the new TNM dashboard for the, the coming fiscal year and beyond. So let me share my screen. Okay, so uh, this, uh, so I'll launch into the um, TNM dashboard uh, report first. So um, here we are, this is our now um, historical um, TNM dashboard. This is the performance for the month of June. As you can see that we did meet our access metrics for the TNAA for both primary and specialty return. Um, uh, uh, however, from year to date in specialty, we are not. Now, one of the things I don't wanna jump the gun and, and uh, take up, um, steal some of the thunder from Dr. Gupta, but of course access is a huge part. Timeliness of care is one of the elements of quality and access to care is a huge part of our strategic plan. Um, we will be adding additional um, timeliness of care and access metrics to our upcoming proposed quality dashboard. Uh, I've already discussed uh, some of the um, improvement projects we have underway in terms of our acute care throughput. As you can see in our acute to um, our acute care observed to expected length of stay, that uh, we are not meeting goal, our unadjusted length of stay, and then our median time from decision to admit to uh, admitting patient to an uh, inpatient bed. We are we are not meeting those timely access to care metrics for our hospital throughput for all three of our facilities. Now, again, there's a lot of work underway in order to uh, improve these, and we'll be following some of these metrics in our upcoming TNM dashboard. Again, I keep jumping the gun, and I'm just so excited about the <laughs> upcoming presentation. Um, with respect to our QIP metrics on target, um, we are at goal through June, uh, the end of June of 2022, as many of you likely remember that our QIP program turns over on the calendar year. That means that, um, that uh, our goal by the end of June was actually to meet 
40% of our metrics and we met 77. So we are on track um, um, as of the reporting of this TNM dashboard. We did meet our mark in terms of the month of June for all cause readmissions. Now, one, uh, there's a lot of activity happening in terms of analysis. I, I'm really excited about some of the work that we're doing. We're partnering with Dr. Rusoha, with Lily McRae, um, with Mark Brown, in order to do a deeper dive into our our data on 30-day readmissions. And, and what we're doing is we're looking for signal, basically. We're looking into the data and we're, we're stratifying the data by elements like age, gender, race, language, zip code, diagnosis, high utilizers, and trying to see what pops out as a signal. And if something does, then that might be a population that we want to focus on in particular in order to reduce uh, reduce disparities. So I'm excited about that work. Maybe at some point we'd even bring that here to share what's going on there and some ideas we have. For the month of June, we are we did not hit our target on our hospital-acquired infections index. Uh, we have struggled with this, as have other health systems throughout uh, the COVID pandemic. However, specifically, there are working groups that have been launched for surgical site infection and central line-associated bloodstream infection. And then lastly, in terms of our, our um, patient experience metrics, we again, um, for the month of June, we did not meet our target um, or our year to date in terms of patient experience. Um, items that um, continue to be underway, both in the inpatient and the ambulatory setting include items like daily rounding. Uh, we are reviewing comment reports um, in the ambulatory setting. We continue to do well health in order to help uh, with our text communication with patients um, and continue to look at first touch uh, resolution. So with that, um, that concludes the report on the June TNM dashboard. So then moving on to the patient safety report. So um, for the month of July, there were, uh, there were 20 harms in the month of July uh, that were E or greater. And so uh, if, if we recall the, in terms of the harm scale, if something is E or greater, that means it has reached the patient. So of the harms that were reported in the month of July, 20 of them did reach the patient. 18 of them were just, uh, you know, ended up in, in um, uh, no significant harm to the patient. And only one of them required intervention in order to save the life of the patient. Um, we are, of course, um, examining that. One of the one of the things that that um, Ms. Torres and the quality team and I have been talking about is what to do about our our target for harm rate. So, in reviewing, it seems like our harm rate target has remained at three and a half percent for the last few years. We have hit that target, of course, for the month of July, first month of the fiscal year. We did not hit it for the month of July, but we're wondering about um, whether or not we actually want to drop our harm rate target in order to to bring it lower. So, we're going to be talking internally about maybe getting more aggressive on that target in order to reduce the harms of our patients. 
Our volume of risk events by month, this is just the number of MIDAS alerts that are entered into the system. We are right there um, within the usual trend line. We're not um, either significantly higher or lower. Um, and you know, ideally, of course, the greater the number of events that are entered into the system, the lower the harm rate. And the greater the number of events that are entered into any safety alert system, it means that we're 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 putting in near misses. That is, of course, the state we want to be in um, because we never want any harms to reach our patients. Moving on to our culture of safety survey. Now, I'm very excited that um, in the full board in September, um, Darshan Graywell will be giving the board a, a um, more extensive presentation on the entire culture of safety survey. However, we are in the point of action planning, and the action plans are due by the end of this month, and that is well underway. Now, lastly, moving on to regulatory affairs. In the month of July, we did have a, a complaint visit at Highland. This was a response to a self-reported incident. We had two reportable events that occurred at John George that we'll go into greater detail in closed session. Uh, we did have a, a complaint that arose from the Joint Commission. This was an allegation of a HIPAA violation. A response was submitted uh, just a few days ago, and of course, we'll wait for feedback on that. In terms of upcoming and past surveys, so I want to very much recognize the leadership of our lab. Uh, we have incredible lab, lab leadership um, led by the fearless Dr. Valerie Ng, and, um, and we had a great survey with the College of American Pathologists where we were uh, re-accredited. There were some small opportunities which we are addressing, um, but overall the survey went quite well. We also had an unannounced visit from Disability Rights California. This is an organization that, that conducts periodic site visits to um, audit facilities where people with disabilities do receive services. Um, that visit, um, uh, from what I understand, they visited Unit B and PES at, at John George and the official report is pending. And with that, Oh yes, because our appendix is just, we always like to keep this front and center about the significance of our harm, um, but that concludes um, the TNM Patient Safety and Regulatory Affairs Report. That was awesome, Dr. Cornabene. All right, give us our marquee presentation. Okay, so why don't we move to our TNM dashboard presentation? I see Dr. Gupta on screen. Dr. Gupta, do you want me to share my screen or would you like to share? Um, either is fine. I have it up if that's easier. Okay, that sounds great. Can folks see? Yes, great. Okay, so um, I will um, do the first few slides here and then we'll be handing it off to, to Dr. Gupta. Uh, uh, I wanted to take the um, take the time to just review a little bit of uh, you know where we are in our journey. So 
we did assemble a team that came together. It was really, a, a, if I could just speak personally, a really a wonderful um, process. I loved all, everyone's ideas that came forward in this in order to um, produce the proposal that we have tonight. Um, we, we really wanted to ground um, some values in the TNM dashboard, which included uh, patient-centeredness, understandability and accessibility of, of the data and inclusiveness. We, uh, as Dr. Paquette already alluded to, uh, we brought this and we got great feedback that maybe it's best to um, hold off on a product that really uh, aligns well with the strategic plan. So we're hoping that that the what you see tonight um, uh, truly uh, you know, aligns with that set of principles. And then um, lastly, uh, we there is one um, pillar uh, where we're still working on developing some uh, uh, metrics and data strategies around it. And there'll be more to come on that down the line, um, likely uh, for a greater discussion, perhaps at the full board. So moving on to the next slide, I won't go too deeply into into this, but but this just reviews the process that we under that we undertook in order to get where we are today in terms of a multidisciplinary group. Um, I really appreciate Dr. Gupta really uh, focusing our energies on making sure that we're all aligned on the purpose of a TNM dashboard. To my recollection, we hadn't ever done that before. So that that was Dr. Gupta who really led us in that discussion. And, and we've refined our principles around the metric selection. And one of the things that I, I truly enjoyed in this process was that we threw spaghetti at the wall. We, we really <laughs> created kind of dream dashboards. Like if we could have any metric in the world, what would we want? And then from there, we kind of walked back from that dream to, okay, what is possible? What is feasible? What really fits with, um, with uh, our strategic plan, et cetera. And that was a really exciting way to approach the development of this dashboard. Next slide, please. I won't go too deep into that because I just talked us through our existing TNM dashboard so we can step uh, across this one and then going to our plus Delta. When we went through the, the process uh, for developing the TNM dashboard, there were some things about the existing dashboard that we really loved. We really liked having a baseline, a goal. We liked to see the monthly performance, the year to date. We liked that uh, it was on a single page. We found it um, comprehensive, but there are some things that we thought we needed to improve. Number one, in, in the quality dashboard, we thought that steep was a little bit lost. It wasn't quite called out enough in the existing dashboard. Um, equity was not clearly included. Um, and we didn't want to include ratios in, in the new dashboard. Also to, to speak to that value around really making data as accessible as possible. So with that, um, it is my great pleasure to pass it off to Dr. Gupta to take us across the finish line. Thank you, Dr. Tornabene. Uh, so as, um, as, as previously mentioned, you know, one thing that we felt was lacking and that we should really use as a starting point before going into the details of this metric or that metric is to really, you know, agree on what is the purpose of this TNM dashboard. And so this statement was approved back in May, but I think it's um, worth repeating um, as, a, as a way to ground us for the rest of this conversation. Uh, we felt that the True North metric dashboard serves as a pulse check 
for the board, the staff, and the community to evaluate how AHS is performing regarding AHS's strategic priorities in order to become the number one safety net health system in the country. Um, and from that statement of purpose, we then refined our guiding principles that we developed back in 2021 um, to add you know, four key elements that we thought were missing from the previous guiding principles. Um, the first that was alluded to by Dr. Tornabene is accessibility, that we really wanted metrics and data that was understandable to a layperson, including frontline staff and our patients. Uh, noting, however, that there is a trade-off between accessibility and benchmarkability to national benchmarks and other hospitals. Um, we felt it was very important that for the quality measures, um, metrics be ultimately stratified by race and ethnicity so that we're always talking about equity. We're always thinking about current and future equity gaps. Um, we want it to be as inclusive as possible, not just limited to the inpatient setting or our ambulatory settings, really thinking about post-acute, um, outpatient surgery, et cetera. And then lastly, um, to have a blend of these broad overarching national metrics as well as specific actional metrics, things that we could all rally around and work on this year. Um, so this is a very dense slide. I'll try to um, walk through it as um, succinctly but clearly as possible just to orient folks. Um, this, this page is just about the quality care pillar. Um, as the first column, the second column is steep, which I think everyone is familiar with. Gray refers to metrics from the previous dashboard that we're re recommending we remove from FY23's dashboard. And purple represents new metrics that we're recommending that we add to the FY23 dashboard. White measures are those that were previously there and that we're recommending continu continue. So that's the sort of landscape of this page. Um, I'll dive into this. I'll be relatively brief. Please interrupt me if um, for any discussion about a particular measure. Um, the first is the hospital acquired infections index based on the guiding principle about removing metrics that are ratios that people do not understand. We recommend removing this metric and replacing it with a total number of hospital and post-acute patient harms. This allows us to be inclusive of the post-acute setting, as well as every single number represents a specific harm that affected a specific patient. We've also added um, in the third purple, the third line um, in safety, hospital and post-acute handwashing compliance, which is a, as I think many of you know, um, a joint commission requirement and a um, significant opportunity for improvement for our hospital. Moving on to timeliness, we recommend continuing the standard measures of access for ambulatory, um, the TNAA or third next available appointment for both primary care and specialty. Um, we've added two new measures in this category. The first is um, looking at the percent of our assigned lives via our managed care plans and what percent of them have been seen in primary care in the last two years. The second new measure that we recommend adding mostly to align with the strategic plan is looking at the total number of patients on the specialty backlog, really looking at every single one of these thousands of patients is waiting for an appointment with a specialty care provider for their new, their first appointment with that specialist. 
I'll pause there before moving on to effectiveness and see if there's any questions or comments. I think this chart is beautiful, Dr. Gupta. Thank you, Dr. Bouquet. Um, so moving on to effectiveness, um, we recommend continuing the readmissions measure, um, an important measure of how our hospital is performing and also a nationally reported measure. We recommend removing the percent of QIP metrics on target from the quality dashboard and um, it's being moved to sustainability, which is where this program lives on the strategic plan. We've added a new measure to this category called adult health maintenance up to date, which looks at, you know, all of the preventative screenings and um, exams that people are due for in their adult life, you know, what percent of those screenings are up to date. So it's aligned with QIP and many of our quality programs, but it's about people and their health screenings and, and a more understandable measure. Notably, this is a new measure that we've made up to align with our guiding principles. In efficiency, we continued the measure of ED throughput, looking in time in the ED from decision to admit to the inpatient bed. Um, and we recommend removing the two length of stay measures from this overarching dashboard with the expectation that length of stay ultimately is represented by ED throughput. I will get to equity in a couple of slides. So I'm gonna just hold, hold on that one for a moment. And then in patient centeredness, um, both HCAPs and CGCAPs have been replaced with a composite measure of patient likelihood to recommend AHS, which is akin to the net promoter score and could then be inclusive of all settings, including outpatient surgery, radiology, post-acute, um, et cetera. We've also added a more specific patient experience measure within HCAP that looks specifically at nursing communication in the hospital setting. And so there are now two patient-centered measures, one that is broad and one that is more narrow. And that wraps up the quality care pillar. I'll pause here before talking briefly about the other pillars. Dr. Gupta, can I channel a question that I might hear from other people? Please. Um, uh, you guys are, are going to stop measuring these things that you're taking off the dashboard. Can you can you answer that question for the crowd? Oh yes, thank you for um, for um, for mentioning that. So for many of these measures that are being removed from this sort of high level True North metric dashboard, they do represent important metrics that we need to follow. Um, and so in the appendix, for those of you who are interested, we're recommending cascades that are both at the entity level as well as at the metric level. And so for ED throughput, if that has its own cascade, you would then expect to see the length of stay acute measures. You might also expect to see um, stratifications by diagnosis or something else or level of care um, for a given measure. And so for most of these, I think all of the gray measures, they will live in a different place and be watched carefully, just not on this particular dashboard. Thanks for that, Dr. Gupta. Trustees, what you'll see here is that uh, uh, we basically, uh, if you add purple, white, and uh, purple, white, purple and white, you get to 11. So we're looking for 11 um, uh, metrics here. The prior dashboard was 10. And in my personal view, it reads in English. Uh, so I think uh, even our, our patients, our, our, our partners, our, our, our employees can read this and sort of make sense of what that metric uh, means. So 
Uh, um, in the case where there's not, where the goal isn't coming from the Joint Commission or somewhere, uh, for example, hand washing, what, where is the goal coming from? Good question. I'm going to hand that question to Annette Johnson and see if she can chime in. I was on vacation when that decision was made last week, and so I don't have that goal. And you're oh, on vacation now. Specifically, I'm not talking specifically about the safety or the timeliness goal or any particular goal. Oh. <laughs> in general, about the um, the 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 goal. target setting. So how do, how are these arrived at? If it's not, I can see how some of them would be arrived at if they were goals for um, joint commission or goals that were set by um, CMS or somewhere, but the ones that are more discretionary? Yes, absolutely. So in the recommendation column, um, you'll see that there is a second bullet about the target setting principle. Um, and those target setting principles were approved by the board back in 2021 and are being carried forward for this year. Um, so where there is a national benchmark uh, that, and it is, is a nationally reported measure that falls under principle one. And the expectation is that our target is the min a minimum threshold of, of achieving the 50th percentile. Um, for other areas where it is not a nationally reported metric, um, we have a minimum threshold or relative improvement depending on the avail availability of benchmarks. Okay, thanks. That makes sense. And so where it says principle three relative improvement, that assumes a 10% relative improvement from baseline. Thanks. And trustees, I'll remind us that this is an action item tonight, at least for this dashboard. I'll probably have questions for Dr. Tornabene whether we actually need to approve the other ones. But this one is certainly, these, these 11 are certainly the province of this committee. So just uh, trustees, remember this is an action item. For this pillar, is that what you're saying, Dr. Chair? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right, Dr. Gupta. Great, so I will move on to the next pillar. Um, the next pillar is physician and staff experience um, and represents the hard work of Lorna Jones and um, Dr. Achilles Warren. Um, many of these measures you will see are new, um, representing you know, a real focus on experience in the strategic plan this year. So the first new measure is staff harm due to assault. And this was really born out of a lot of concerns and of you know um, increased visibility of harm-related events that we wanted to really make sure that we were tracking um, and looking at carefully. And so you'll see that staff harm due to assault is inclusive of both um, all types of assault, but really represents assault that might occur um, by our patients, which have um, happened in some high-profile events in the last year. And so that's a recommendation to add. The next two additions are the net promoter score, which as I think many of you know, is um, a very simple survey that people complete that is simply, um, would you recommend AHS as a place to work? Um, it is often a composite in a healthcare setting with, with the second question, would you recommend this as a place for your family to get care? And so, um, this will be added in two, in two different categories, one for providers, physicians and advanced practice providers, and secondly, for staff and administration. Um, the first survey is expected to come out in October, which will then represent the baseline, and the survey will, will be repeated twice per year in the short term with the hope of increasing the frequency thereafter. 
Workplace injury reduction is recommended to remove from this dashboard to align with our guiding principles, but will be continued to track by HR. Um, turnover will remain on this dashboard um, with the modification that starting in September or October, it will be inclusive of EBMG, which represents our largest medical group of physicians. Any questions about the experience pillar? Finally, I'll um, mention sustainability, which has also experienced some significant changes, mostly for understandability to a layperson and for alignment with the strategic plan. We've moved the number of QIP metrics on target from the quality pillar to the sustainability pillar. We've retained the EBITDA margin um, and we've added the productivity percentage for the organization. We've removed operating margin, cash collections, and gross days and accounts receivable, which will undoubtedly continue to be tracked by the finance team. So I'll just share, you know, this is the overall True North metric dashboard um, with a selection of care quality metrics, um, and then all of the experience and sustainability metrics for a sort of um, overall True North metric dashboard that the entire organization would look at, and then a more detailed comprehensive quality care dashboard that this board subgroup continues to follow. Dr. Gupta, how did you pick the four for quality, for the four of the 11, just getting into your guy's brain? How'd you pick those four? It was really hard. It felt yeah. a little bit, to be honest, like, you know, I choosing among children. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we, it, I think it was sort of, um, threefold. One is where, where did we have some major opportunities for improvement to where were the sort of biggest areas of alignment with the strategic plan and three, you know, um, what, what's important nationally and for our hospital to be successful, um, and competitive with, with other hospitals, both, um, locally and nationwide. And so I think that those were the sort of guiding principles, but you know, you could, you could put a different set of four here and I'd probably feel good about it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. They look good. So we'll take a moment to talk about equity, if that's okay. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's perfectly appropriate. So you'll see the rightmost pillar is our equity column. Um, and we're recommending a two-phased approach and just taking a step back to talk about equity. Um, as folks have seen in the strategic plan, there was a lot of discussion about where equity should live. It was ultimately decided to be a circle around the entire um, the entire rest of the image as something that really encapsulates everything and not a single pillar. And so to align with that, equity has been added as a column rather than a row. We're recommending a two-phased approach. In phase one, we recommend at least twice a year, a review of every single metric with a equity lens and data stratified over time. In phase two, which would be next year, fiscal year 2024, every metric on the quality pillar would be stratified by race and ethnicity. And I'll show you what that might look like. So for FY23, you'll see in the rightmost column, there is a deep dive scheduled for every single measure where equity applies. Um, and in, in that conversation, you would expect to see harm stratified by race and ethnicity, perhaps an explanation of major equity gaps or a major equity reduction. 
um, and you know, an opportunity for more discussion on that topic. This is an example of what an equity deep dive might look like. So this is for adult health maintenance up to date. You'll see that there's both a point in time snapshot for a number of metrics by all races, as well as looking at points over time for multiple metrics or many races and a single metric, looking at over time to see where are, where do we have major gaps and um, our performance on metrics by race and ethnicity. I have a question about this equity. I, I'm loving this so much. And I, I'm imagining that Hetty is going to be the committee that's reviewing, but maybe that's not the case. I would love to know who's going to do the reviews and the deep dives. But I also wonder where does gender and sexual orientation fall in your equity examination? Because I'm not hearing that at all. Um, it is a great question. Um, so the this framework has been reviewed by Hetty. Um, my assumption, and and which I think is um, worth vetting a bit with Dr. Turnabene, is that the metric owners, one of the proposals in this version of the dashboard is that each metric has an accountable executive as well as leads on the various metrics, that those folks are responsible for put it, pulling together the equity deep dive and bringing in the relevant subject matter experts. Um, with regards to sexual orientation and gender identity, because you know we are so in some some ways very advanced in working on equity and very behind you know we're not used to even looking at data stratified over time we're starting here i would love to see the same approach done for sexual orientation and gender identity that data is collected routinely in the outpatient setting but it is not collected routinely on the inpatient setting it's also not collected i don't think at this time by places like Press Ganey for us to then, you know, stratify patient experience by 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 those characteristics, although I'm hoping that will change in the future as well. Um, but that but that certainly be an opportunity to expand this further. Yeah, I would love to to make a strong push for data collection regarding the SOGI information, especially as we're seeing um, a new virus that's not new but you know, a new epidemic that is affecting people um, mainly in a certain community. And we're trying so hard to be conscientious of equity as we talk about MPOX or monkeypox or however we wanna say it. And without collecting the data and making a solid analysis, I think we uh, give ourselves an opportunity to have an unnecessary gap. I can definitely take it as an action item for the health maintenance up to date. It would definitely be possible to do that stratification, including sexual orientation and gender identity. And maybe we start there for, for this year um, while focusing through how to expand that data collection outside of ambulatory. Thank Does that seem reasonable, Dr. Tornabene? That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Esteen, for helping us broaden our perspectives. Um, and then I, I wanted to share sort of what, what we saw as the future state for how equity should be represented on this dashboard. So the blue columns represent the introduction of equity. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we aren't looking at disparities compared to the overall population because that can really mask inequities. We wanted to look at our highest performing population and then our quote lowest performing populations to really see how big some of these gaps could be. Um, and, and it's um, really a shame. It really um, magnifies 
um, and make stark how big some of our disparities really are. And so that's our recommendation for how to do equity moving forward um, with a promise of having this done by FY24. Well done, and that Dr. rounds Zika. out the my presentation. I'll I'll um, leave it leave it for questions. Although I know it's seven o two, Doctor Bouquet. I yes, ma'am. Over. Will, will you put us back to the last slide? Well done, Doctor Gupta. Um. So uh, uh, let me give a little bit of clarification on what I think has to happen here. We 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 are the quality committee. So we have province over these eleven items which have been proposed and this equity structure. Uh, uh, Dr. Gupta presented us, I think, uh, I think we as trustees got a preview of what's coming to the full board. I would argue that the, uh, the staff and patient experience uh, items probably belong in the HR committee for their approval, and that the sustainability items belong to the finance committee for their approval. So uh, uh, trustees, we, we, you just got a preview as a board of trustees member, but not necessarily QPSC. So I will make the motion um, to approve the 11 items as proposed with the equity construct as discussed. Is that an acceptable motion? I think so, I'll second that. Um, uh, Madam Clerk? Um, Dr. Chair, I had some comments. Oh, oh sorry, apologies. Uh, let, let's open up for dialogue. I, I had a question and um, a comment if I, if, if. Um, of course. Chair. Yeah, well, my first um, comment is something about something that you mentioned um, much, much earlier in the meeting, um, Dr. Chair, about the community connection pillars. And um, I, I heard um, there was a, just a brief discussion, Dr. Gupta mentioned that that was, um, and I saw in the, the notes that there was no area, the community connection pillars um, do not have um, any specific goals or objectives and are not quantifiable. And I would actually, um, respectfully disagree and suggest that we heard about a program tonight that um, is a program that responds and comes to address a particular um, patient in the emergency department at Highland Hospital. And we also have another program at Highland that it responds to patients that are victims of domestic violence. I believe that's still there. I'm not positive that was, um, yeah. So both of those programs are community connections and they're both partnerships for Highland Hospital and they're both quantifiable to the extent that if a patient, if a person comes in, either suffering from a gunshot wound or suffering from um, being a victim of domestic violence, and that person is discharged without being seen by one of our community partners, then that is quantifiably not a success. By, by communicating and ensuring that these the victim of gunshot wound or community violence is seen by ensuring that the partnership is strong, and that the person, the patient is getting the services that they need before they're discharged, then that is that is a quantifiable um, positive outcome. So I would I would just point that out and suggest that that we um, look at those those two programs, and I'm sure there are others as well. I think we've heard about um, offloading. We can even look at offloading if a, if there's some time between offloading and the ED, for example that could be construed as a community pillar because of course the, our community partners are the EMS providers. So I would just throw that out there for future discussion. Um, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, Trustee Jensen, I think those are excellent comments. I'm sorry, I'll let you finish, I cut you off. No, 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 that was my, so great. You can give me some applause, okay. 
Okay, I'll give you applause. And then I'm gonna give it to Ms. Brigham uh, for a, a brief little uh, input on this one. We'll make a comment and then hopefully we'll make an action. Thank you so much, uh, Trustee Bouquet. Uh, Trustee Jensen, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that when you look at the strategic plan and the community connection pillar, um, which is what a committee looked at within the organization, uh, many of the uh, goals and actions um, were uh, activities that were more process related in terms of uh, having trusted relationships with our community members, uh, developing more uh, patient advisory groups. Um, we believe that one of the things we will be doing is looking at the various programs and really making, I think, sort of helpful modifications in what should be the actions and goals for the community pillar. Um, and we'll be bringing that to the full board for consideration. We felt that uh, the current uh, structure was somewhat limiting uh, for us because it didn't uh, fall into the more quantitative um, way of looking at the True North metrics as they're presented today, but we will be doing exactly what you suggested and uh, be it either our anchor institutions or other uh, community-based activities that we are partnering with. Thank you, That's, that sounds great. Thank you, Ms. Brigham. I think that nice, nicely summarizes it. And I, I, I would assert we've, we have some great community uh, a place, uh, co community uh, stories, issues, programs in place. And then it becomes about two issues, the quant of it and the governance. The unfortunate thing, cir circumstance we have is that the four pillars we have, only three of the four pillars actually track to board governance. Quality obviously would belong here. The uh, uh, staff and patient experience belongs in HR, sustainability for finance, the community pillar, I think this is a discussion we have to happen at the board level, as Ms. Brigham alluded to. We have to find a place for that to be owned so it's not treated as, a, as, as, a, as an ad hoc item. So I think our CEO is dedicated to, to uh, supporting this pillar, and uh, now we just got to find the right place of it. But I, I absolutely agree with you. We have at least two star programs, which should probably be considered in that. Um, and there's another one too, which uh, I, at some future meeting, if I'm still around, I'd like to um, share more with the board about the CARES program in Alameda, which is actually reducing and quantifiably reducing emergency psych admissions because um, in a partnership between um, the healthcare district, the hospital, and um, the emergency uh, Alameda Fire Department. So there, there are programs there, and I and I would really suggest and support looking at them and figuring out how, you know, we can look at the, the participation, the patient care and the outcomes to, to establish quantifiable, um, quantifiable standards for the community connection pillar. Yeah, thank you, Trustee Jensen. Uh, you know, what a great problem to have, an embarrassment of riches, right? When we have all these kind of opportunities. So that we won't forget about those discussions. Mm -hmm. um, with that, I'll, kind of, I'll, I'll try to rephrase the original motion, which is, to approve these 11 items as a presented for the quality committee with the equity construct as presented. And I think trustee Esteen seconded, is this, is this acceptable council? Roll call, Madam Clerk. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Yes. Trustee Jensen. Aye. The motion passes. Great work quality team. I know that was a heavy lift. Dr. Tornabene. 
Yeah, thank you. You all are, just thank the quality team. I was actually just raising my hand to do the same. I specifically really want to call out the leadership of Annette Johnson and Dr. Neha Gupta here. The yeah. process that that we employed was really exciting to be a part of. I mean, it was really about debate, exchange of ideas, precision, data, you know, quality frameworks, the framework of the strategic plan. I mean, it had so much in it that was uh, really just um, an exciting part of our organization. So thank you again to Annette and Dr. Gupta for leading the way here. Yeah, let's just pile on and appreciate both of them, except for Dr. Gupta, who came in on her PTO to present this. So shame on her. Go back to your children and have a great evening. Um, with that, we will close this item. I think that ends the open session. Um, uh, audience, uh, that ends the open session for us. We'll be going in the closed session. I don't anticipate it to be long. I probably wouldn't recommend that you have to wait around for anything. I'm estimating, hopefully, knock on wood, 15 minutes or so. Does that sound right, Dr. Tornabene? Um, and uh, if you're not here when we get back, everyone have a great evening. All right, uh, council. The quality committee of the board will now go into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Good night, everybody. Council. Sorry, we've returned from closed session to the August 24th, 2022 QPSC council. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. The quality committee of the board met in closed session and approved the medical staff reports. There were no other reportable actions taken. Thank you, everybody. This will conclude the uh, August 24th, 2022 QPSC. Everyone have a wonderful evening. Good night. Good night.